This episode of the Impact Makers podcast is sponsored by Workplace from Meta. Everybody's talking about the metaverse these days, but Workplace from Meta is different. I mean, the clue's in the name, right? Workplace is a business communication tool that uses features like instant messaging and video calls to help people share information. Think Facebook before your company. It's part of Meta's vision for the future of work, a future in which your job isn't just something you do, but something you experience a future in which we'll all feel more present, connected, and productive. Start your journey into the future of work at workplace.com forward slash future. Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Hey there, Impact Makers. I'm excited to share with you today a conversation I had earlier this year with my friend, Steve McIntosh. Steve and I shared this conversation as part of a webinar sponsored by his company, CareerPoint, which is also a company that I serve as an advisory board member for. The topic of our conversation is focused on how leaders can prepare for Generation Z in the workplace, and those Gen Zs are those born between the years 1997 and 2012, But we really talked about, and Steve shared some great tips on how to approach and develop young leaders or new leaders in any generation. So who is Steve McIntosh? He's originally from the west coast of Scotland, and you'll love hearing his Scottish accent along with my Tennessee twang. He's a recovering accountant, an HR professional, and the author of the book, The Employee Value Curve, the unifying theory of HR and career advancement, helping companies and their people succeed together. Steve began his career with global accounting firm KPMG before founding CML, a financial services recruitment firm based in the Cayman Islands, and CareerPoint in 2020. CareerPoint is a career advancement coaching platform built to help companies attract, develop, and retain talent through personalized virtual career advancement coaching for young professionals based on a proprietary approach called the employee value curve. CareerPoint's mission is to help more people thrive at work. I think you'll really enjoy our conversation today, and you'll have some great takeaways after listening in. Well, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, everyone who's joining us. You're here today to learn about, are you ready for Gen Z in the workplace, preparing for tomorrow's leaders? It's a popular topic, and we're excited that you're joining us today. I'm Jennifer McClure, and I'm CEO of my own company called Unbridled Talent and also Chief Excitement Officer of Disrupt HR. I work with leaders to help prepare them for the future of work and find their path to greatest impact. And I'm also joined today by my colleague, Steve. So Steve, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks, Jennifer. My name is Steve McIntosh. I'm founder and CEO of careerpoint.com. We're a career advancement coaching platform. Well, that was short and to the point, Steve. (laughs) Thanks for doing that for us. We appreciate you again joining us today. I personally have a lot of questions about Gen Z myself, and I'm interested in learning more. Steve's really been studying up on it and does some work with that group. So why don't we start with who is Gen Z? What are they all about, Steve? Can you tell us? Yeah, so I mean, the first thing, so I, there's a couple of things that I'm going to try not to do during this webinar. One is to be very patronizing, right? So it's really common when we're talking about these different generations to talk about them as if they're like alien races from another planet, right? <laughs> right. I think. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to talk about young folks today and because I'm a, I'm a card-carrying member of Gen X, so my main qualification to talk about Gen Z is having a couple of Gen Z kids 
Mm -hmm. uh, they're right at the end of the cohort. They were born 2007, 2009. But the eldest of the Gen Z cohort are turning 27 this year. So it's anyone that was born after December 31, 1994. And the reason, I think the significance, the reason we're talking about this today is that if the, the oldest of this cohort is 27, that is essentially who many big companies are going to be recruiting from the ranks of Gen Z. This is, right, especially entry-level roles, any kind of roles that have yet to progress to leadership, they are mainly going to be Gen Z at this stage. And so this is an incredibly important cohort especially for companies who have ambitious growth plans, they're really going to have to have Gen Z figured out. Yeah, it's it's certainly an interesting time in terms of recruiting and retention for organizations. And they're having to deal with all the generations and everyone's different wants and needs. And like you, I've never been one to kind of like separate people so distinctly by generations. I realize we all have some characteristics based off of our surroundings and how we grew up. But I've long said that it's often stage of life. You know, find a millennial who has a mortgage and two car payments and young kids, and they're going to behave a lot like an older Gen X person. But Gen Z does have some specific characteristics that they're bringing into this kind of like chaotic soup of recruiting and retention for workforce leaders. What are some of the characteristics that they have. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason that we talk about these different generations is just because of the shared life experiences that they've had as members of a particular cohort. I think that's why it's useful, right? So, and the, the sort of the, the obvious ones, the ones that are often talked about in relation to Gen Z are just number one, having grown up with ubiquitous technology. Mm -hmm. It's not so much. So when, when I was growing up, we had video game consoles. My parents had uh, an IBM PC that, that we tinkered around. It used to have MS-DOS, right? This was in the days before Windows came along. So technology was a feature in my life, but it wasn't a defining feature. It was almost like the technology that we experienced, television aside, was an interruption to our normal lives. But I think it's kind of flipped the other way. So my kids seem to exist in this digital dimension. And it's anything that happens in real life as the interruption to mm -hmm. that. And I think that's a, that's a very important feature. So they're, they're incredibly comfortable with technology. They expect technology. If I was to put a piece of paper in front of uh, my kids and ask them to ask them to you to fill in a form, they would immediately wonder, they would question the integrity of the entire process that didn't involve electronics. And, and a, a huge part of technology is obviously social media and gaming. I saw a frightening statistic. So I wanted to give a shout out to, to my new friend, Anthony Anesta, uh, who's, who's written a fantastic book about Anthony is uh, the chief people officer at a company called Suzy, and he's written a fantastic book about Gen Z in the workplace called The New Employee Contract. So I'd encourage everyone to check it out. But one of the statistics that, that Anthony cites in his book is that 97% of Gen Z plays video games. 97%, basically everyone, right? The other big feature is obviously social media. One of the, a couple of the defining characteristics that Anthony points to in his book are that Gen Z are very, very conscious about how they present themselves to the world because they have to be. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a fairly small town. I didn't really have to worry too much that I was establishing a reputation at that point, but there's almost no such thing as growing up in a small town nowadays because you're connected to the entire globe, your various social media channels. And I think the, I mean, the, the final thing that I would point to would, would just be the pandemic. So 
Gen Z have joined the workplace at a very interesting time for everyone. And it's unprecedented, obviously, in our lifetimes. And this is going to have a profound effect on, on their entire career. So they're joining companies at a time when companies are struggling with things like onboarding and training. I, I know this from having tried to onboard. We're an entirely remote company. And it's, it's very difficult to establish a cultural connection, the personal connections, and just to, to show people how things work when you're not sitting next to them. Uh, so I think this is, this is something that you know, companies are starting to figure out, but Gen Z have been, have been really living this as their first experience with the workforce. Yeah, it's also interesting over in the chat. So uh, we've asked kind of like where you're joining us from and and I see Wilder. I hope that's pr pronouncing your name correctly. Wilder is a sci-fi knologist, sci-fi novelist who's publishing in a Gen Z venue. So thanks for joining us, Wilder. But uh, Wilder brought up as well as another person in the chat, the eco-awareness, kind of like the environment and really not only from their personal point of view, that being important, but having some expectation of their company that they join as well. Is that something it's, that you, you've read about in the book or you've seen from your own children? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and that, I mean, they've, climate change has been a, a constant in their lives, right? Constant. We, this was never talked about when, when, when I was growing up. Climate change just wasn't really a thing. In fact, growing up in the west of Scotland, we would have wished for some climate change. But this is something that they're incredibly concerned about. And as I remind my two, two kids, even Charlie, it's on them as much as anyone else to do to, to uh, change their behavior to to help us fix climate change which we is is a really urgent uh, thing for us to do obviously so gen z are definitely more environmentally conscious but also more socially conscious mm -hmm. i think they're they're much more tolerant they to all kinds of uh, all kinds of lifestyles to all kinds of backgrounds it, my, my kids grew up in a very very multicultural place it's second nature for them to, to interact with people of all different faiths and uh, ethnicities and, and backgrounds. Sure. I received some survey information um, earlier this week. I don't have the numbers here in front of me, but a, a large percentage of Gen Z's, kind of to your point, they are coming into the workforce at a time when we are still emerging from a global pandemic, which changed the world of work forever. A good chunk of people began working from home, and then that's evolved over the last two years. So many of them do have an expectation or a desire to work remotely. But as you brought up, there are challenges that come with that, both for the Gen Z employee as well as the company who's trying to make sure that they're onboarded, they get a sense of the culture, that they understand a career path. Are there some ways that companies can kind of address these expectations of this younger workforce coming in with both what their values are and how they view the world of work? Well, I think uh, offering remote or flexible work is, is the first big thing. This is There's going to be a great sort. There are lots of thought leaders talking about how people are going to self-select into companies according to their preference about place of work. Mm -hmm. So the vast majority, the statistics show that the vast majority of people want to work remotely in some form. It remains to be seen whether this is going to have any, it's going to, it's going to last. As someone who's worked from home myself for the last year and a half, it, it has a certain novelty value, but there is a point in time where you just, uh, you know, you yearn to be around other people, I think. Uh, so I'm not sure, and especially for, for Gen Z, so those under 27s, this is a more sociable group, mm -hmm. right? So they're at a stage of their lives where they really want to meet people and want to be around other people and want to 
learn uh, from their peers in the workplace. So I think it's it's a it's a balancing act for employers, and and the I think the important thing is to is to work out in advance what the downsides of the format of work that you offer are, and to find ways to mitigate those downsides. So, for example, if you're onboarding someone to work remotely through the pandemic, there needs to be a deliberate off a deliberate attempt to make sure that they're making the personal connections that they need with all of their colleagues. And that may be something as simple as just scheduling a, a coffee by Zoom to, mm-hmm. to give people time to chit chat instead of just talking about work. Not making sure that these new workers know that they can reach out, that it needs to be as much led by them. So the worst thing would be someone sitting, working remotely and having a question or having a concern or having a problem and not reaching out to do something to fix it. But when you first join any company, it's kind of difficult to know where those lines are and who, who you should contact with various problems or whether it's appropriate to or not. Do you want to do you want to call your boss and say, I can't figure this out? Is that so I think from a leadership perspective, it's very important that the leaders make new workers, whether of any generation, comfortable in reaching out and empower them to to really solve their own problems. Sure. Now, we know not every organization is working remotely or has 100% of their workforce working remotely, but it is something that is very prevalent in today's workplace and will be well into the future. You've mentioned a couple of things that leaders, managers can do to try to address the needs of their remote workforce, whether they be Gen Zs or others. Do you have some other tips for how leaders can really connect with the new incoming employees in their organization, again, whether they be Gen Zs or other generations? I think I think what's essential is to avoid overloading new workers. The, the expectations have never been higher. So when I joined the workforce, I began my career as an accountant with KPMG. And I remember having a lot of mundane work to do, right? I, I was photocopying, I was filing, I was doing, I was doing the stuff that has since been automated or outsourced. But this actually was a way for me to add value as a new employee without, you know, I couldn't, I was an auditor and I, I was never going to be assigned to, to audit an important company at the age of 25 when I joined the workforce. But there were things that I could do that were much further down the value chain to add value. All of those things have been eliminated. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine who uh, who is a partner in a big four firm told me that they're now doing 10 times as many audits with twice as many employees which means that they've become five times more efficient, right? And they've done that by outsourcing and offshoring and automation. And what they've gotten rid of from job descriptions is that kind of mundane work. And what this means for the the new employee is that they're joining the company higher up the value chain, which is much more challenging. So it means that they need a whole new set of skills and they, they really need to have a good sense of how they create value through their work right off the bat. So what I would do is... Instead, so it's typical for job descriptions to have anywhere from 10 to 20 different tasks or responsibilities. But what's really important to avoid overloading people is to start them off with one and allow them to master it rather than starting them off with all 20 and not knowing where to begin and not knowing how to prioritize and really just focusing on one task until you until you reach your competency limit and then switching to a new task. That, that's not a great way to, to find your feet in a new workplace. It's very important to focus on one task or responsibility 
and nail that one and then move on to the next one. Sure. I love seeing some of the comments in the chat where there's been the mention of, again, the, the environmentally eco-conscious generation, the facts that people want flexible working options, that values and purpose are important. And then Angela Howard mentions, I think the key will be around choice and curating intentional experiences in person, synchronously and virtually asynchronously. The social contract is changing, meaning arbitrary in-person interactions or frustrating disconnected virtual interactions will be seen as a barrier to doing great work in the future of work. Well said, Angela. Thanks for sharing that. So with all of those desires and wants coming into the workplace, what are some things that organizations can do? I think, you know, one of the things that maybe hasn't been mentioned in the chat yet is that they are focused on growth and career growth, whatever that might mean to them, the the Gen Zs. We said that about the millennials too. So again, I think it's the younger generation, but certainly the Gen Z is coming in with really wanting to make an impact in whatever way that is. Are there some suggestions that you have for leaders on how they can address career growth opportunities with new young employees who are still learning the ropes of the organization and work itself? I think there are two things that I would point to, and one of these would be something that, I, that is kind of a theme in, in all of our work, is just to make sure that employees really understand how they create value for the organization right? Because if you have a good understanding of that, then you know what, no matter which task you're doing, you know what you're solving for. Mm-hmm. And, and these, so it's very common now to, uh, to talk about the career lattice instead of the career ladder, right? Mm-hmm. And the good thing about a ladder was that a ladder, you can see the next rung and you're just kind of, you're moving up the ladder. With a lattice, it's so much more complicated that you really need to have a sense of how you're creating value and to to take personal responsibility for moving around in this landscape. Whereas in the past, the at least the perception was that the, the onus was on the employer or the leader to guide the employee through the career advancement process. That's no longer the case. But what's very, very important, what comes with this autonomy and this freedom is a need to understand the environment and to take personal responsibility for navigating it, but also for the company to provide extra resources that allow the employee to do that. Very common approach to that is to say, well, leaders need to get better at this and need to become coach, need to become coaches themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's very difficult. It's actually very, very difficult to do, right? Because most leaders and bosses, when I was promoted to, to manager at KPMG, when I was around 27, 28 years old, so mm-hmm. I was relatively new to the workforce myself. I think I'd been with the company for four years. At the time, I thought I was one of the, you know, I was a, a, I was the senior. But looking back, was I the best person to be giving career advice to someone who was maybe a year or two younger than me? Probably not. And I think that's really the organization needs to provide high quality resources that help employees navigate this new career landscape. Sure. I like this this comment from Joseph Riddle in the chat. I'm curious if Gen Z are going to have different challenges finding mentors and coaching, given that hybrid and remote is the new normal. They'll have to be much more intentional than my generation, Generation X was. Any thoughts around that? You know, the, the mentorship and coaching and how either the Gen Z can approach getting access to that or if companies are finding success in offering it? I'm, so I think that's a, that's a really good point. And I think the, what, need, what they need to do is the same as we had to do when we first started our careers, which was to, but it's really how they do it that's changed. So what I mean by that is that 
the onus is always on you personally to find a mentor, right? So mm-hmm. you have this power. You have this power to ask anyone if they would be willing to help you. And we were always able to do that, but didn't always take up the opportunity when it arose. So the question is now, how can you do this when you don't have a, a network, especially if you're working remotely? You may not know the more senior people in the, the company who might be willing to mentor you. In that case, you really need to, to be proactive and to, to ask who might be available to do this, right? Mm-hmm. So you need to find create new and creative ways to expand your network and be more proactive. And then, sure, you might end up having the first call over Zoom. No big deal. You might end up sending an email instead of meeting face-to-face. So the, the end goal is the same. It's just the, the media that have changed. Sure. It's also when we talk about mentors and and that's been something that's long been important, but I, I think we're much more cognizant now that expecting either the young employee to identify mentors, ask for their time, be visible enough to even be able to ask for their time is a challenge, but there's also some inherent bias in that. I've seen research and data that men are much more likely to have a mentor in informal environments because Mm -hmm. maybe they're more willing to ask or maybe the mentors are more willing to reach out to them. So there's something to be said for having a system for mentorship and coaching rather than telling new employees that that it's the right thing for them to do to seek out mentors. What are your thoughts on that? I would agree. So uh, the statistics are that 70% of uh, under 30s do not have someone that they consider a mentor at work. That's a serious problem. And it's much more serious for uh, women and minorities because they they do find it more, uh, it's less likely that they have someone they identify with that they can ask to become a mentor. I think the other problem is that just because you have a mentor doesn't mean that they're a really good mentor. You could potentially have a mentor who doesn't give you great advice, right? I think, you know, when I, looking back on my own career, when I was 27 and I was someone's, I was effectively someone's mentor who was only a few years younger than me, I probably wasn't a very good mentor. And, and that, was a, that was a system that the company had put in place. So I think this is something that companies should look more to, to outsource and bring in outside experts to do. That's something that I did a lot in my uh, recruitment company was to rely on outside coaches because I knew that they could have open and frank conversations without having the conflict that, that I would have as a leader. It's very difficult to be completely open and honest with your boss, if they're coaching or mentoring you, or even just someone who's inside the company. You never quite know if it's if uh, you can trust them one hundred percent. If if you really if you if you have their full confidence, uh, and that's something that I think third party coaching services like CareerPoint uh, bring to the table. Sure. I'm an executive coach. And so I've worked with a lot of executive leaders and I always tell them your boss is not your friend. They can be, you can be friendly with them. You can have a relationship with them. You should, but when it comes to talking through your challenges, your boss is not the appropriate person person to approach. Not because that person is unethical or anything like that, but you plant seeds in their head. If you say, I'm having difficulty communicating and getting, you know, influencing some of my colleagues to do X, Y, and Z, Well, your boss may be able to give you some good tips for how you can address that, or maybe even connect you with somebody that can help with that. But you've also planted a seed that now when they're in a meeting with you, they'll be aware when it doesn't go well, et cetera. So reaching out to people beyond your hierarchy is almost always a good idea in terms of career growth. 
what other advice might you have for those Gen Zs out there who are maybe saying, I'm already ready to start on a leadership path? How do I kind of engage within the workplace? Or what can I do myself to put myself on the best path to grow my career? Yeah, there's a few things. I mean, and, and this is something that we focus on a lot in our coaching work at CareerPoint. So leadership is one of our value drivers. And what we talk about is how, how to show leadership when you're not in a leadership position. So there's kind of two sides to leadership. There's leadership from the company's perspective, which is all about delivering results, right? It's about mm-hmm. getting, the, getting the job done. Yeah. The other side of leadership is caring for the welfare of the team. And sometimes these two objectives can find themselves in conflict, which is why leadership is such a, you know, it's, it's well paid, but it's, it, there's also a lot of pressure. And it's all about, for me, it's all about managing the conflict between those two objectives. Mm-hmm. There's lots of things that employees who are not in leadership roles can do to help the team achieve great results. So you can support the leaders and your own team, mm-hmm. right? So that Aristotle said that before you can be a great leader, you must be a great follower. And I think that's certainly true in, in my experience, although I'm not sure I was always a good follower. I could see the benefit when I, when I was leading teams. I wanted people who supported me. They were the, to me, they were, I was seeing them as the next, uh, the successors to my leadership. I think the other thing is just uh, in terms of supporting the welfare of the team, it's just offering to help. Offering to help a colleague, thats a, it's a form of leadership. It's, it's a way to build the support network and finding ways to, to help other people is great practice for when you become a leader because really that's what you're, what you're doing with most of your time is finding ways to help people solve their problems. You don't need to wait until you are, your job title has leader in it to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting when we talk about coaching or even mentorship often that it's focused on developing leaders. And that is the number one challenge for organizations. I mean, yes, it's hiring retention, but we need leaders to lead our businesses into the future. So I understand leadership is a good goal, but also coaching, guidance, et cetera, on just how to manage your career to get the most out of your career. I just saw a clip on uh, LinkedIn earlier today from Gary Vaynerchuk, who is always good for a soundbite. And the clip was, why are we talking about the great resignation so much? What about the great never apply? And I was like, oh, only, only Gary Vaynerchuk could say that. And his point was, is that the Gen Zs, the young generation is not necessarily looking at getting on the career path ladder. They're looking mm-hmm. for significance. They're looking for flexibility. They're looking for their way to chart their own path. And for many of them, that's, I want to be a YouTube star, a TikTok influencer, you know? So, so how can organizations really connect with the generation who's coming in and saying, yeah, I want to grow. I'm not sure what growth looks like. I don't know that I want to be in the corner office, but I do want to grow. Is there some way that organizations can really tap into that by helping them? I think it's a really interesting point. And this is a question that I, I often ask people, why do you want to become a leader? Like, what is it? Is, is it really all it's cracked up to be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is, it, is the juice worth, worth the squeeze, as they say? So I think the reason that most people focus on becoming uh, a leader is that it's a requirement to advance in your career, mm-hmm. right? Most companies, in order to to get paid more, you need to start managing other people on some level. And the more people you are responsible for, the more you get paid. But 
really, it does become a very, it's, it's much, the pressure changes quite dramatically and the challenges change quite dramatically. And leadership is a, is a skill set in itself. And it's going to become a lot more challenging when we're managing people who are working remotely. And I actually think what would be more useful for companies to do would be to create coaches, mm-hmm. right? To say that it's not my job to manage you or lead you, but it's my job to help you. That would kind of redefine the relationship. And that would be that would be a job that I would be keen to do. But as an alternative to leadership, I think companies also need to change the traditional structures to be able to offer this. But there are lots of ways that people can add tremendous value through their work. And career point coaching, we identify eight value drivers and leadership is only one of those value drivers. But it's possible to add a tremendous amount of value through the seven other value drivers, like innovation, like relationships, like impact on morale. And at the end of the day, as long as you're, I think this is what people, everybody wants is to, to be valued. Mm-hmm. People want to create value in the world. And what's really important is to understand how you do that with your company and how that can drive your career advancement in a direction that you want to go. So it's very important to focus on solving for value. Yeah. Steve, you had some great suggestions on how companies can approach the younger generations and really connect them to the work and their career path and the company. What are some mistakes that you maybe are seeing that companies are making or leaders are making in terms of bringing this new generation on board and getting them to be productive in the workplace? I don't know if it's a new thing. I, I, I don't believe that it is. I think it's the same old mistake, management mistakes and leadership mistakes that, that uh, we've all made. In our, in our in the in the course of our, our own careers, and I I've been doing far too much of the talking, so I really want to hear more from you, Jen, because you have a vast knowledge and experience of of leadership in HR. So I w- I would put this back on you <laughs> to to to, uh, to what do, what do you think? Well, it's like we're human, so it's easier to fill a list of mistakes than it is successes, right? So (laughs) I think I see a lot of leaders and companies making the same mistakes that we've made for years. You know, we're talking about the future of work and how work has dramatically changed, but there are still so many organizations out there approaching it from a one-size-fits-all approach. We place a job ad, which is basically a job description that was written 10 years ago and may or may not reflect the job of today. We put it out there on, you know, Indeed.com or I don't know if monster.com is still a thing, career builder. We put it on the job boards. We tell people to share it on the socials, which they don't. Um, And then we wait for people to apply. And then when they apply, we put them through, you know, they have to upload their resume after they've already filled out stuff in the ATS. And then we put them through screening interviews and, and the process takes too long. It takes too long. People aren't engaged. They're not connected. You're not selling them on an opportunity. I think employers are still in that mode. And again, not all. The leading edge companies are doing really creative things. But too many of our leaders are saying, this is what I had to do to get the job at the company. And you need to really want it. You know, I worked in executive search for about four years. And if I heard it once, I heard it a thousand times. We don't want people to come work for us because of the salary that we pay them. We want them to work for us because we have a great company and a culture. 100% of the time, those are the companies that are paying below market. 
So companies today really need to be on their A game. It's your number one challenge facing your business to recruit and retain the right people. And those are bookends of the same challenge, the same challenge. How do you bring people on board? How do you connect them with value and purpose in the organization so that they are engaged to come to work every day to push through problems and challenges, even when things are difficult, because they know they're working towards a greater good and it matches with what they want to do as a human. So how do you do that? Connect people to purpose. How do you make sure that you're providing the workplace that they are desiring of? You know, not everyone wants to work remote. Great. You know, if you're not a remote first company, be clear about right. that. You know, don't dangle people along and then bring them in and say, well, we really want you in the office, but if you have to work at home, that's fine. You know, you've got to provide training for your leaders on how they can engage a remote workforce. If I see it once, I saw it last week from Laszlo Bach, former SVP of people operations at um, Google. Laszlo's done great work. He's got a lot of great things to say. I follow him. I've read his book. Uh, I sign up for his webinars, but he retweeted a quote from someone saying, there's going to be a real challenge for people who are not going back to work in the office to grow and advance in their careers because they really do benefit from those hallway conversations, the FaceTime with leaders, et cetera. And Laszlo retweeted it and basically said yes. And I was like, we've got to think differently. We've got to think differently about the future of work. If the world of work has changed, if employees in general have different expectations around flexibility, we have to force ourselves out of the box of saying, you have to be in the office, in the chair, have the ability for to be in my eyesight for me to share mentorship or to reach out to you as an employee or to be interested in growing your career. And I think that's a real challenge for companies going forward. I don't have all the answers to that, but I know we've got to spend time thinking about how do we mentor, guide, coach, provide opportunities to people who are either not in the office at all or office part-time. So that was a soapbox, clearly. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, you hit on something there that I think is very, very important, which is this conflict between introducing technology and making things less personal, right? Mm -hmm. So the thing is that what most technologies these days, the, the very popular ones are all social forms of technology. They're, you know, um, my son spends a lot of time playing virtual reality games, and he does that because he gets to connect with other people. He wants to be around other people. He wants to, he wants to be in this in this world, this social world. But I would wonder whether many of the technologies that we've introduced in the workplace, just because they're technological, doesn't make doesn't mean that they give any kind any kind of real social interaction. A great example would be Slack or just email, right? I mean, these are sure it's technology. It's supposed to make us more productive, but a, does it, and B, does it actually does it actually take away from the social contact of work? If you're if you're just being constantly interrupted by Slack messages, I would challenge whether that's giving anyone the kind of social interaction that they really crave for on a fundamental human level, right? But it's also a challenge, I think, for the Gen Zs and the younger workforce where they are totally comfortable engaging online, uh, spending hours on TikTok. And just like my best friends are people that I, quote, met from blogging and Twitter, you know, in the early aughts, you know, so we were able to really connect back then in a way that I don't think is possible on a lot of the social platforms today. So it's almost today, I think, a false sense of connection. Like you mentioned your son playing virtual reality games. My son's 30, but he's League of Legends. He's been in that for years and he has friends all over the world, you know, that they play at a certain time or they're on a certain team, but it's not the same as what 
is typically needed in the workplace to really be able to understand other people, how to approach them, how to communicate with them, how to develop influence. So there are a lot of these soft skills that we talk about soft skills, long needing to be developed. I'm not sure that this young workforce coming into the workplace has necessarily had the opportunity to develop on a lot of those soft skills. And so they're bumping up again on challenges, not just between the older generation and the younger generation and and failing to communicate effectively, but just humans in general. When one generation or, or a group of people is much more used to communicating electronically without punctuation, you know, using uh, acronyms and IRL, you know, those kinds of things. And another generation or group of people in the workplace doesn't necessarily see that as the way to communicate. It just creates this clash that I see kind of constantly happening. We blame the millennials for it before, but it's just work. There's five generations in the workplace now. How are we going to? bring everyone together in the future. Yeah, it's like people have never been more connected, but also never more isolated, right? It's, you know, it. I can imagine a conversation between an employee and the HR manager where the employee says that they feel isolated and the HR manager says, what are you talking about? We've got 70 different Slack channels. Nah. Well, that's not, that's, <laughs> you want to connect with someone, post something in Slack. But that's not, and the studies show this, right? That mental health is actually a, a serious problem for Gen Z. Because of this uh, isolation, partly because of the pandemic, obviously, but it's all this synthetic human connection. It's, I, I wonder whether Generation Alpha, the one that comes after Gen Z, I wonder whether that's going to flip the other way and it's, the, the novelty value is going to be in real human interaction. Because it's such a, when you go to virtual reality, where do you go from there? You go back to real reality, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the... That's virtual reality 2.0 is actually meeting face to face. I think in some ways we're already seeing that. I know me personally, I'm I'm a big introvert. I'm off the charts on being introverted. I need time alone to recharge. But after two years of Zoom meetings and virtual conversations, even this introvert was like, I really want to connect with a real human. I want to sit outside and have coffee with someone. And I don't even drink coffee, but I was willing to. <laughs> Just want to have a conversation, yeah, where I'm able to just absorb your essence as a human. And I think there is some of that already going on. And I saw someone mentioned over in the chat, like meta and, you know, the the metaverse and those types of things that are coming. And And I realized, you know, just like I resisted probably getting an iPhone, I probably resisted, I know I resisted getting on Facebook, I resisted all the things, email, I thought that was the worst, you know, so we've resisted all along and now these things are ubiquitous and we can't do without them. So will, will 10 years from now, we all be avatars in a metaverse? Maybe. I can tell you, I'm not just resisting and I'm not excited about it. I know it's cool and there's a lot of opportunity out there and companies or many companies. I talked with a, a CHRO at a, a major company recently. They've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in Oculus headsets and they're having virtual leadership meetings with their employees around the world. And they're loving it and they believe it's the way of the future and they're going all in on the metaverse. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go like always. I'm a late early adopter. The question is just whether net net this adds value. So do the benefits of being able to hire and work with people all over the world Mm -hmm. outweigh the benefits of the social connection that you feel when you actually share physical space? 
Right. It remains to be. I'm I'm kind of excited about it, but also kind of nervous to see to see where it leads. Yeah, but I think it's it's still whether it's the metaverse, whether it's remote and hybrid work, the work we're in today, their challenge continues. How do we bring new people in? You know, in in many cases, young people who it's their first real opportunity, and show them the path to develop themselves an opportunity. That's that's an ongoing challenge that I think we'll continue to see. And I mean, I want to come back to something. I, I spent uh, 17 years uh, running a recruitment firm and much of that as a recruitment consultant myself. And the, the big thing that I saw companies doing that I think can be applied in terms of attracting and retaining Gen Z that I always felt was a mistake was they focused too heavily on filling the job they have, right? So my first question to to a client was always, what's the career advancement potential in this job? And oftentimes the the hiring manager would react by saying, well, what are you talking about? We, you know, we have this job. This is the job that we need to fill. As a recruitment consultant, I was conscious that I was never selling a job to a candidate, right? Mm -hmm. Because 99.9% of candidates that we were working with already had jobs. So they didn't want a job. They wanted career advancement. And that was the way to get them interested and any opportunity was look at where it can take you and look at what the company does to invest in you and to give you all of those options. And so I think companies that that really want to attract and retain Gen Z have to be having these conversations about where their career is going, helping them understand the landscape and helping them navigate it, giving them experience in lots of different areas, if possible. Very difficult to do in small companies, but not impossible. Give someone a completely new responsibility. Give them marketing responsibility. Get them to get them involved in a project mm-hmm. because they this is having exposure to those different business functions, those different life experiences, and just those those colleagues. Is, is going to be uh, essential. And that's what's going to keep people around, not incremental pay rises. Sure. I'd love to see some of the questions. Devin, I get really excited. I see that someone said they dropped a question in the chat. So if you could share those with Steve and I, I want to kind of ask one final question myself to Steve. You were, you were headed that direction. You shared some of the things, but maybe what are two or three things that companies, recruiting leaders, hiring managers should really be focused on in terms of, being the attractive job or opportunity for the Gen Z talent and then helping them to stay or as long as they're not going to stay 30 years, but how do we retain those who really fit with our company and culture? What can we offer them in order to do that? So three things I would point to be number one, the connection with the company. So making sure that you're deliberate and explaining this as part of the hiring process, right? Here is what we're going to do to make sure that you become connected to your team and to the broader company. And what that looks like, there are lots of options. Uh, Much of it will be online. Hopefully some of it will involve meeting in person, but but it needs to be deliberate how studies show that attachment is very important and that it all happens in the first few months of a new employee joining a company. And it's something that really needs to have a plan behind it. The second thing would be training because that's what people really want, right? They join a company because they want to be, they want to learn new skills. They want to have new experience, but again, there has to be a value proposition from the company to the employee and to, to really, to get the, the cream of the talent pool, you need to be making a proactive value proposition and how you train and onboard, especially with a heavy remote component to the work, that's going to become essential. Being able to show them the plan to say, here is how we're going to help you develop your skills just to get comfortable in the job that we're hiring you to do. And then the third thing would be, here is your, here is your potential with this company. 
we want to invest in you as an employee. We want to help you navigate the landscape within our company. We know that this job that we're hiring you for right now is not the end game for you. We know that it's just a stepping stone to greater things. And here's how we're going to help make that happen. If you cover, if any employer covers those three bases, that's going to be an incredibly compelling pitch and way more powerful than salary. Mm -hmm. That's really helpful. Thank you. Joe dropped a question over in the chat. Talk a little bit more about the value of an individual contributor versus management roles and how remote changes the value calculation. I mean, this is to me, this is more on employers than employees because employers and HR departments are the ones who are designing the jobs, right? They're the ones who are writing the job descriptions, but it really needs to become more flexible, I think, and to have the emphasis taken off so much leadership. We have some clients at CareerPoint who, whose problem is that they really, they aren't able to offer the progression, even though, because they've flattened their structure, right? Which is quite a common thing for companies to do, to flatten the structure and take, and in so doing, take away some of the advancement potential. And I think what's going on here, there's kind of a tension between what employees want, because every employee wants pay equity until it means, unless they're working harder than everyone else, mm-hmm. right? So you can't have it both ways. You can either have pay equity where everyone gets the same, but you don't get more if you create more value for the company, or you can have non-equity and the more valuable employees receive more. But this is something that we, that we as employers haven't really figured out. How do you, how do you measure value? How do you reflect it in people's pay? How do you, how do you reward it and keep people around when you have a flatter organizational structure. So this is this is something that I think it's a, a challenge I would put to the to the HR world is to think about their organizational structure and how they reward and keep people and how they incentivize them without dangling ever higher leadership responsibility. Right. And I think such a great point. It's long been the case we tell people that the career path is up or out. When there is real value being provided by many of the individual contributors in the organization, and in order to continue to grow those people, so I think a lot of, and I've even been in organizations where we kind of said, okay, you're great at that job, you're stuck, your pay is capped, you know, keep doing you, you know, do good work, we need you. But really, there are a lot of ways to provide career growth and opportunity to people who are very good at what they do, and maybe they do not aspire or even are not a good fit for a leadership role. There's challenging work, there's cross-functional opportunities, there's ability to take on projects or to lead projects, to work on special projects, to go be a floater employee, et cetera. So find ways to think about providing challenging worth and growth that doesn't necessarily involve stepping up the career ladder. We've all heard or even seen or been a victim of, you know, the best sales leader gets promoted to the sales manager and he or she is terrible because the things that made them a great salesperson are some of the things that do not make them a good leader. So we have to be really cognizant about separating leadership characteristics and what is really involved in that from people who do good work and measuring that and valuing that and providing opportunity for those people to continue to grow. Another great question over in the chat from Raymond, why do you think companies are so lethargic about ramping up leadership training, coaching, et cetera? It's a great, it's a great question. And I think it comes down to time constraints, honestly, Leaders have an awful lot on their plate, and for most leaders I know, the, the 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 issue that they have is that if you have ten 
let's say you have 10 employees in a team, which I think would be a typical span of control, to even spend one hour with each member of the team, that's a quarter of your working week. It's, and it's probably still not enough. <laughs> so now you get you add more leadership training on top of that. You know where does it? it there's there's a natural limit, I think, to how many people uh, can can uh, how much leaders can take on. But I think I do think leadership's important, but I think it's often overplayed. Uh, so imagine if a company could make someone a VP. So a VP is a is a kind of middle management uh, job title. Imagine if you could become a VP but not have any direct reports. Wouldn't that be awesome? There, there are people out there who have who are adding tremendous amounts of value to the organization. Why not keep them by making them a VP, but not making them responsible for managing any team? That would be that's so that I think that's the kind of flexibility that people need. Or even making titles not necessarily reflect the value in the organization. I worked in a Japanese organization for many years, and there were no VPs. If you were the manager, you were leading the function. And, and that was a challenge for me coming from being an executive leader and then taking a job in that company. You think, well, I'm taking a step back, but it was mm. part of the culture. And so some of that is, is creating a culture where leadership is reflected through the work that you do and not your position on the organization chart or the, the title that you hold. Well, we want to make sure that we wrap up on time. Our links to LinkedIn profiles, if you want to connect with Steve and learn more about him or CareerPoint, or if you want to learn more about me or just connect on LinkedIn, uh, they've been dropped over in the chat a couple of times. Is there anything, Steve, you'd like to say to kind of wrap us up here? Uh, no, look, I think it's been a it's been a great conversation. This is a topic that's not going anywhere because uh, Gen Z is taking over, right? Like it's it's a case of get ready, and I for one welcome our new overlords. <laughs> well, I play video games, so maybe they'll let me be on the team. I don't know. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to learn from you and for your company, CareerPoint, providing this webinar today to help leaders understand more about how they can prepare for the future of work with the Gen Zs and the younger generations of the world. Uh, I want everyone to be aware you'll receive a recording of this webinar as well as some follow-up information uh, within a couple of days. And you'll also receive information about the next webinar CareerPoint has coming up in July, which is around talent acquisition with my friend Carmen Hudson and Steve. So hopefully you'll tune in for that. I know I will as well. So we'll sign you off for today. Go out and figure out how to create purpose, meaning pay attention to the the, the world of climate change. Make sure that your employees have opportunities for growth and development and that you're providing coaching and mentorship in a structured and meaningful way. I'm Jennifer McClure. He's Steve McIntosh. Thanks to RepCat for helping us with the webinar today, and we'll see everyone soon. It's time for you to get noticed, create change, and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review.